Blog Talk Radio. Gail Sylvia, host of SylviaGlobal.com. I'm so excited that um, we're back together today, and we have with us uh, Sylvia Global's wealth psychologist, Jamie Traeger-Muni and Emily Bouchard. Jamie is with us in Israel, and Emily, I'm guessing right now today you're somewhere in California. Is that correct? That's correct. North of San Francisco. Thank you so much, ladies, for for being here with us. You know, we're in a series on women, our sexuality, our money. And the last time we left off, uh, right, you know, start right on the cusp of genograms. And we wanted to pick up there, have you tie that into um, how it affects our sexuality, our sexual identity is associated with genograms and what exactly genograms are. And then uh, some discussion about the emotional impacts of wealth from a generational perspective. We know it's a fascinating conversation and one that applies to wealth holders as well as wealth advisors. So I'm going to have the two of you continue that um, that discussion where we left off last. Thank you so much for having us back. It's just a delightful thing to continue to, to broaden and deepen this conversation because um, where in the world can we have it? You know, it's it's so important, and it's something that's more and more needed uh, globally and very much intimately and personally. So thank you. Glad to have yes, you here. thank you. And you're absolutely right. There aren't uh, many platforms for ongoing conversations on this topic. And as wealth psychologists, we, we think it's important to have you available to the audience uh, in order to have them ask questions, and we'll start those interactive conversations very shortly. So, um, t- you know, what is a genogram? Well, I'm glad you asked. We love genograms, and it's one of um, the primary tools we use <clears throat> with clients because it's so useful to see intergenerational patterns that develop sometimes because there's spoken rules or stories and very often um, because our behavior shows certain stories. So we don't tell our children to act a certain way, but we show them to act a certain way. So a genogram, I like to say that a genogram is a representational family tree. And it's less about what the genogram actually is, and it's more about the conversations that happen in the process of looking at a genogram. So again, those stories start to to show up. And very often, because we all know the stories of our life, um, we get to see our own lives in a different through a different lens. So if we look through the lens of sexuality and money per se, and I might be interviewing a client um, about her family stories about sexuality and money, and then we're trying, we're starting to trace that, all of a sudden she starts to see multi-generational connection. Maybe it's about her great-great-grandmother's um, um, interactions with money. Perhaps she got married 
and other than the dress that she was wearing, really had no tangible assets to her name. As soon as she went from her father's family to her husband's family, it changed, you know, those assets changed ownership. So that's already starting to have a certain thinking in a woman's, in a woman's mind. And we keep looking generationally how those stories broaden and develop. And this gives people the ability to say, wow, this is one story that can be. And is it necessarily the story? It, it's the story of my past, but is it necessarily the story that I want to adopt for my future? As we recognize our stories, we have the ability to say consciously, is this what I want for my future? And if it's not, then we have the ability to start to shift the, the stories that we have in our lives moving forward. I like the idea of, and it's more than an idea, it's a, it's a fact, that we have the power and the ability to ask the question. And just by asking ourselves ourself the question, is this something that I want to continue? You know, is this a, a part of the family legacy that needs to stop with the last generation and take a new course? I think that that that, that lays the, the groundwork for the tide of our life moving in a new direction. You know, that we don't that we have that ability to change the course. That's so true. And you know, where where do we want that more so than in terms of um oh the what's perpetuated against women sexually in generations and generations and um, you know, in a very confidential, private, supportive environment, working with somebody who understands um, what it could be like to open up uh, this historical pattern in the family, as well as potentially personal wounds around that, can be so liberating because you get to see that it's not some sort of um, individual uh, thing that you so self-identified that there's something wrong with you because somehow you participated in whatever it might have been you know, there's so many things that are perpetrated against women and as young girls. Uh, but when you see that it's actually a pattern within your family historically, that's a taboo, that maybe it wasn't talked about explicitly, but there was always like, you know, there was always something there. Or, you know, I remember this one story that my mom said, and there's different things that start to tease out when you start to look at the family's history through a particular frame. And so when we start to look at the historical patterns around sexuality and around money, it's quite remarkable what starts to come forward. And, you know, to give you a, a simpler example that's not as um, uh, filled with emotion as the sexual pieces, uh, you know, pain around relationships not working in terms of, the, let's say, divorce. And uh, one of the clients we worked with saw that, you know, the fact that she had multiple divorces was not so unusual in her family's background, even if it meant that she felt somehow different than the rest of her siblings. And one of her siblings had even been divorced, and yet somehow she was the one who was the one who got divorced. And it helped her really lighten the load and the burden of that on her shoulders. Oh, yeah, this is, okay. Yeah, go ahead, Jamie. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to go back to one of the things that you had said earlier, Gail, that we have the ability to change, sometimes it, 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 
we can stay true to the value, but we can shift the behavior. So all, most of our um, behavior was adaptive at one point. But if we're not looking at it through a modern lens, it might n no longer be um, an adaptive behavior. So we might say that we want to stay true to honoring our family sense of loyalty. But loyalty today in our age you know, that we live in might not mean that women have to give up their property and their money to be to the ownership of their husband. So we might be able to keep the message but change the action. So keeping the message but changing the action, you know, what I think is um, pretty intriguing about that that statement is that when I look at shows such as, um, you know, PBS does the series on genealogy and with Dr. Henry Louis Gates, and when you look at that family tree, and which you used as a, you know, you referenced that, that type of model in this discussion as well, it really allows the, the viewer, at least in looking at someone else's family tree, to be able to visually associate some of the the behaviors that we have and how they've moved forward, you know, in our lives. And the parts that you're saying that we can stay true to as values, we have that ability to, once we are in a discussion like this and are able to recognize it, we, we have the ability to keep the parts that we want and be able to change or modify, rid ourselves of the parts that we don't want. And it's becoming into that awareness that starts those changes or solidifies the good that we want to keep and perpetuate. Uh, and I think, and it's it's just intriguing to me how it applies in our legacies and our behaviors, whether it's, um, you know, the DNA that affects our hair color and our eye color, or if it's uh, the DNA wired in us or something that's wired in us that affects our behaviors and of uh, around money, you know, and our perceptions of ourselves associated with money. All of it is something that can be, uh, when we put a, uh, when we're aware of it, it's behavior that gives us new understanding and awareness. Once, once it's we're aware, you know, once we're aware that we can do it, that it's even there. So. Did that make sense? <laughs> yes, it did. It was fabulous. And one of the things that came up for me as I was hearing you is this idea of being able to perpetrate the good and really increase that potentiality. And I love the idea of also decreasing the uh, the likelihood of, um, uh, you know, you can perpetuate the good and you can you can stop the perpetu the oh. The two words are really synonymous, but perpetrating the bad. You know, yeah. there's perpetrators that do things, whether it's physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, power and control, very manipulative around money, that are historical patterns in families. And that's something that's been perpetrated onto people. And we want to, I love this idea of perpetuating the good and really minimizing what gets perpetrated in the future. And mm. that, that really spoke to my heart because I think that that. That's the essence of what we do for people. And Jamie, you have that powerful story about the the, the couple that saw the history of the um, abuse that was so um, relieving for them. A absolutely, and I I love what you guys are saying because you know we say even in our culture hindsight is twenty twenty. 
But so often with our family stories, we don't look at the hindsight and use it. So, Emily, you pointed to a beautiful story that I work with a couple that came to me because they were so terrified about abusing their daughter, and they didn't really know why. And then we started to unpack their genogram, and on both sides of the family, there was at least four generations back, and they didn't know anything from further. I'm sure it went back even further. Everyone had had instances of physical abuse. So, you know, I said to to these very young, you know, they were early 20s couples, you guys most likely will abuse your daughter unless you really consciously take some new actions because this is the way it's always been in your family and you didn't you learned that that's the behavior you take even you know, if, if their parents said, don't do that, what they showed them in their action was that they did do it. So we worked with the couple to really build out their tools when they got frustrated with their child or their child made them angry so that they could stay true to their value about being good disciplinarians without ever hurting their child. And it was incredible work. And they were so successful. And it took a lot of time. And there were some near misses. And you know, you have to be kind because this was hundreds of years of history that they were shifting. That they had no no responsibility for creating, that they had no awareness of, but something inside of them made them, and, and how wise of them, made them realize, you know, there's a problem and we need to go get help to correct the problem because they didn't want to perpetuate a bad behavior, you know, it, it's how do we connect? Um, what do the two of you suggest the, the listeners and audience does um, to connect with that voice or that suspicion within ourselves that says something's wrong? Um, I don't know what it is. I don't know where to even begin to look for help. How, how do you advise them? That's such a great question. And uh, one of the things that... Uh, we really true to with people is um, this confusion around love and then behaviors that don't seem to fit with what you're supposed to do with somebody who loves you, and yet that's what we've experienced in our lives. You know, whether it is, you know, the physical abuse Jamie was just speaking about or, um, you know, sexual abuse or maybe even sexual innuendos or maybe whatever it might be for you, that something doesn't feel right we really support people in trusting their inner voice and their intuition and listening to that and cultivating the relationship to that. And one of the reasons why people don't is because they don't know that there are resources that can support them in doing things differently. So it's it's shifting from how it's always been to how it could be. And we invite people to start looking at envisioning a future of how life could look if that behavior wasn't there and if it could look different than what hasn't felt right or never felt right. We're giving people a sneak peek of our next conversation, Emily. Sorry. (laughs) What's the evocative question here and the inspiring invitation? The evocative question are for people to start really looking at, we call these inherited stories about money, about sexuality, 
about being a woman in your family. And they come in many forms, these inherited stories. Sometimes they're taboos that we learn from our parents. Sometimes they're handed down messages. Sometimes there's mottos in the family. Sometimes there's idioms. Sometimes there's rules that are either communicated verbally or non-verbally. And like Emily said earlier, it's really useful to do this with someone who's, who's trained at doing it because then if things get opened up, they can help you to see a new way to move with it, to not blame yourself, as you had said, Gail Sylvia, to really stay in a positive mode of, you know, why am I doing this? What's the purpose that I'm moving to something different? So that's our evocative question for this week. And the inspiring intention, you know, the inspiring invitation. Well, we we want, uh, you know, your listeners to know that how they were raised, how they were raised in terms of those messages related to money, related to power, related to sexuality, um, it's not the only way. And we invite people to really, you know, even if it's a simple thing as looking at the mottos that they heard or um, some particular um, patterns of behavior that they're very, that are really obvious that are coming up to them as they're listening to this, if they might want to look at, and the invitation is, what of those inherited stories would they like to maintain and continue to bring forward and pass along to their family? And what are some additional messages or beliefs or stories or mottos that they would like to be a part of their legacy stories so that when their children are listening to a show like this, they'll have uh, different thoughts to refer to, uh, different things that they'll remember. So when we talk about legacy, it's about what are you living now that is going to produce in people's minds what it is that they will um, true to and think about and connect to in their hearts when they think about you or when they hear your name um, well right now and then when you're when you're gone well can we step back for just a moment before we go on to the useful tool can how what's the law of attraction or is does it apply in the situation that two people meet and then they end up in your office around an issue of, let's use the example of your client, Jamie, of a family legacy that included abuse. Is it just one person had that problem and the other one kind of was brought into it and then they kind of, you know, it evolved into being viewed as a, a joint problem? Or did they, were they attracted to one another and that, without knowing it, that was a part of, you know, whatever the behaviors were, were resulted in it being a part of the attraction. Oh, so. oh yes, Sylvia, I love these questions that yeah. you asked. You're so perceptive, intuitive. You go right for the, for the meat. Um, I absolutely think it's the latter. I think all the time we are watching other people. We're constantly assessing consciously and unconsciously how similar is this person to me how much can i reveal of myself and be true to who i am and so even if they've never spoken about it and in fact this couple who hadn't been married very long 
hadn't ever really they they knew that there was some physical abuse in each of their past, but they had no idea the extent to how how much it went back generations and generations. So, you know, those things happen very unconsciously. And as you said, it's the ability to make it conscious and to have self-awareness that gives us the starting place for change. Can you repeat that, please? That was a great quote. <laughs> I'm not sure I can say it exactly, but the ability to have self-awareness and be conscious gives us the ability for change. We often like to say to our clients that it's like playing a game of poker. If you keep all your cards face down, they're still your cards. And at the end of the game, you're going to turn them over and you're going to have results. But if you turn your cards over while you're playing and you assess which cards are there, which ones you need to throw out, which ones you need to keep, you're going to be a much more savvy player and probably much more likely to win the game. But sometimes there are those personalities where we're afraid to, to face, you know, there's this fear and we don't know where it's coming from, but we're kind of afraid to face the, to turn the cards over. You know, we'd rather play life blindly um, and just let the cards go land as they will and just kind of deal with it and take this kind of um, attitude of, of, you know, which we falsely think is a safe position of, you know, whatever happens will happen, and that's just how life is, where you're saying if we turn it over and we are open to facing the fear, even if we're not sure what it is, that we're actually going to be able to empower ourselves and be that much stronger and have the, a much better quality of life, not only for ourselves, but to add that into the family legacy for others. Oh, really well said. Yes. And you know, the, the one thing that I would add is uh, this notion of opening up your cards and opening up to yourself as one and for a moment, imagine playing cards and being willing to say, I'm going to be this vulnerable and treat you as my partner and not my opponent, and I'm going to show you my cards. And to have that kind of ability to be that vulnerable is extraordinarily um, courageous and very challenging for most people because we've often had the opposite modeled for us, that it's not safe to be vulnerable, that we need to be protecting ourselves, and so uh, often can, what can happen in a couple is that somebody will get to a point where they they really want to be vulnerable and have that intimacy, and they're seeing that they keep hitting up against the same thing that's not allowing that to happen. And they they decide that it's more important to face the fear that's kept them protecting uh, so that they can actually go for and have what they really want. And mm-hmm. in terms of the attraction piece, uh, I want to make sure to also acknowledge the work of Harville Hendricks and Helen Hunt. Are you aware of their work on Imago relationships? Oh, my gosh. I have an email from Helen. They're going to be coming to Pasadena, and I'm going to be joining them. Yeah, I'm so thrilled so because not, if, you, if you're curious about this, you have to have them on your show. They yeah. are phenomenal, and their work with couples and helping them understand that we have these attractions that um, are based out of 
childhood wounds with a parent that we're looking for somebody who actually has a lot of those same characteristics to then give us what we never got from that parent. Oh, my so helpful. So I'm glad mm-hmm. you had that connection. I just want to make sure that they were acknowledged for the work that they've done. Okay, well, repeat that as a useful tool, and we'll look forward to having Harville and Helen on the show. Yes, yes. It's um, Imago Theory or Imago Relationships, and they have a book, uh, Getting the Love You Want, Keeping the Love You Have is another one, and it's uh, Harville Hendricks and Helen Hunt. And Imago, I-M-A-G-O, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay, we'll have that up on the Sylvia Global website. Any closing thoughts, lady? I'm so sorry that we ran, we're getting close to running out of time here. And as always, we could go on for a long time, and we'll have you back again soon. So any closing thoughts for our audience today? I would just close with uh, what you just said is that we have an illusion that we're safer if we let the cards fall as they may and don't look. And that really is just an illusion. We're far better off to see what's actually there and to then make decisions from a place of power. Oh, Jamie, you just have quotes flowing from your mouth like gold. It's a pleasure working with her. Yeah, yeah, you and Emily are just quite powerful and so gifted and so committed to the work that you do, and you're a rare asset, you know, to to life in general, the the perspective and the skill set that you make available um, to people. I really hope that our audience will take advantage of this and contact you. Um, Why don't we close by, Emily, you letting people know how they can reach you at Wealth Legacy and, it's, again, it's also on the Sylvia Global website. Oh, yeah, and we're going to be making sure that they, when they come to our site, they'll also be able to get these interviews because I think it's so powerful. Uh, they can com- contact us at um, info at wealthlegacygroup.net. So it's a .net at the end, wealthlegacygroup, all one word, .net. And they can also email Jamie personally or they can email me. So Emily at WealthLegacyGroup.net, Jamie at WealthLegacyGroup.net or info. All three, they will get a response within 24 hours. Thank you so much for being here today, um, Dr. Jamie Traeger-Muni and Wealth, um, Wealth Emily. <laughs> and Emily Bouchard, Sylvia Global's Wealth Psychologist. Have a wonderful day, ladies. I think, Jamie, for you, it's have a Thank good night. You. Okay. Yeah. Thanks so much, Gail Sylvia. Okay. Thank you.